All right, hallelujah. All right. I think that is the return of our sister Faye. Faye has returned. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. Praise God. You know, um, a few weeks ago I preached um, that 2010 would be the year of epic faith. It's actually amazing that word epic has kind of caught like fires like all over the world. They're actually using that word now. I don't know if you notice in media, they're, they're like using that word a lot. But uh, anyway, um, it's only been about four weeks since I preached that message. And as of last night, I thought it was really interesting. As of last night, the sermon has been downloaded eight, almost 800 times. Okay. So I'm not sure who you 800 people are. But uh, God bless you. You know, keep tuning, tuning in because there's more. Hallelujah. And we, we, we were so glad that uh, the faith of our church, uh, people were, were writing in and saying the, the faith of our church can be seen just simply through the way we respond during the sermon. So praise the Lord for that. Your, your hallelujahs and your amens are blessing 800 people. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Why don't you say hi to them right now? Yeah, praise the Lord. That's a ministry, man. That's a ministry. We're reaching more people through the podcast and on the Sunday service. So, you know, praise the Lord for that. Now, I, I want to ask you guys a question as we begin the sermon. Have you ever experienced or you have the experience of being around something for so long that you become desensitized to it? Like in Korea, it seems like the cab drivers are desensitized to red lights, you know? (laughs) Sometimes we can be around something, we can be surrounded or immersed in something so many times that we just get used to it, that we are hardly aware of its presence or meaning. For example, for me, recently, that discovery has been jeans. All of my life... I have just worn whatever jeans that I got. And most of the times when I was growing up, I got hand-me-down jeans from my cousins. Anybody with me on that? Y'all did hand-me-downs? Uh, hallelujah. And I'm planning to do hand-me-downs for my children, too. I hope my sister, you know, you know, has some kids soon, and then we do some hand-me-downs, you know. And then we can do some hand-me-downs over here, you know, over here. Uh, yeah, come on, we got, we got to think collectively. Um, but yeah, man, all, all my life, I didn't care what kind of jeans I had. I just wore whatever. You know, I just wore whatever. And uh, it wasn't until more recently that I discovered that jeans are supposed to feel good. I didn't know that. I just, I just get any old, like, old navy jeans and, you know, whatever. Like, sometimes old navy jeans can be comfortable. Other times they're not. And I realized they're, they're, they're supposed to feel good and they're supposed to also look good. All right? But like all my life, I just wore jeans and I just didn't really think anything of it. But then it was only until recently that my brother David Pio, this, he introduced me to Lucky Jeans. And uh, I was like, man, I ain't paying no $100 for no pair of jeans. All my life, I paid about $15, $19, if it, you know, if it was really on sale or something. But here, you know, he, he was like, man, once you get a nice pair of jeans, you will never go back. And I was like, whatever. And then Lucky had this, like, uh, website had this really 50% off sale or whatever one time. And so I, I bought a pair of $100 jeans for 50% off. And I tried them Jones on. And actually, my roommate uh, back, back in the day, Tay, he, he was wearing Lucky jeans as well. So I felt like God was speaking to me, you know, from different, <laughs> different directions. And so I tried them on. And, man, I, I, after I tried on a pair of good jeans, I never want to go back. I started throwing away all my old jeans. I was like, man, what is this? You know, and, we, and I, I think it's because I was just desensitized to just jeans. It's just, you know, something that you just wear. But, you know, for those who, folks who wear, like, I don't know, some people in here wear seven jeans. Or true, true religion, those are like the real hardcore jeans people. <laughs> and those jeans are real nice. And, you know, if you invest in a good pair, man, they'll last you a while and they'll feel good. They'll look good. Hallelujah. And now for many Christians, the Lord's Prayer... 
is one of those things that we've recited so many times that when it is mentioned, our minds yawn and our, and we go into autopilot. And today, I'm going to revisit the Lord's Prayer. And I want to bring some fresh revelation to it so that it becomes alive to you. Because this simple prayer is actually rich with wisdom and spiritual truth. So if you're ready, let me hear you say, come on. Calm down, Peter. (laughs) Uh, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that bonus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for that. Bring it. Um, Let us start reading the Lord's Prayer. Verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, pray like this. All together now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's stop there. Let's stop there. See, we went to autopilot. We, we try to go through the whole thing. Now, Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer by inviting us to call God Father. I don't know if you ever noticed that before. But that's good. Jesus models a prayer that begins with intimacy and acceptance. Let me ask you all a question. How do you guys start your prayers? How do you come to God when you pray? Do you come with fear? That he'll beat you up? That he'll get this big old stick? Because he's seen every everything that you've been doing and you haven't been living right. And so you just feel like, man, I I don't want to go to God. What Jesus is teaching here, that when we go to God... We ought to begin our prayers with intimacy and acceptance. And as we, as we come to God as Father, our identity as His children gets solidified. So no matter how young or old we are, I believe God desires us to approach Him like a child approaching a loving father or mother. Amen? That's how God wants us to come to Him. Right? There's different attributes of God. We can see Him as King. We can see Him as the judge that will judge the living and the dead. We can see Him in all these ways. But when we pray, Jesus models a prayer for us. He says, you come to God. You can come calling Him Father. Because when you come to Him, you will find acceptance and intimacy. That's good. And not only is it Father, but our Father. Which means not only do we belong to God, but we belong to the family of God. Amen? In fact, the entire prayer is in plural form. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It says, Our Father. It says, Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. The Lord's Prayer should be a continual reminder that no matter how alone you may feel, you are not alone. You are not alone. I am here with you. Though far apart. I got I to attribute to Michael Jackson, you know what I'm saying? You know, one more left us, we got to at least remember him. No, anyway, um, you're not alone. You belong to the body of Christ. And you know what? I don't know if you ever noticed, but your purpose and destiny is interconnected with those in the body of Christ. Like You you cannot fulfill your assignment, the purpose that God has for your life, unless you realize you belong to a community, unless you learn how to work with other people. Hallelujah. Whether they're in this church or they're another church, whether they're of a different skin color, language, ethnicity, okay? Our destiny, our purpose is interconnected with the family of God, with the members of the family of God. And when you have individuals in the church who are walking in wholeness, and I believe that's why the healing and deliverance ministry is so important to the body of Christ. 
And I believe that the healing and deliverance ministry is going to spread like wildfire across the Korean church and across churches in America. Because healing and deliverance is just basic. It brings us to wholeness. And when individuals in the body of Christ are walking in wholeness, the intimacy and acceptance that we find before the Father will be the intimacy and acceptance that you will find within the community. Amen? Satan will tell you, you can't trust nobody. You can't trust nobody in the church. Remember how they hurt you? Remember how they betrayed you? You will never find that kind of intimacy and acceptance. You can only find it in God. And that's a lie. That is a lie of the devil. Because Satan is trying to knock out all the relationships that you could possibly have. He wants to keep you from trusting people. Now, we don't want to just trust, just, you know, you, you know, oh, you're a Christian? Oh, hey, buddy, hey, let me tell you my life story. Like, you know, we don't want to just put our arm around everybody who claims to be a Christian and professes faith. Right? But we got to be discerning. And especially if you have, like, deep wounds and hurts, if you have healing and deliverance issues, you know, you, you don't want to just, like, just, just, just tell anybody that, you know, random people, you know, you want to be discerning that it's a person that can actually, is in a position to really help you, that can counsel you. Or is a person that you can trust who will keep, keep your confidence, that won't go gossiping, airing it out, right? But what I'm trying to say is that intimacy and acceptance, that intimacy and acceptance is supposed to be the standard within the body of Christ. It's not supposed to be the exception. Oh, did you hear about that church? Oh, man, you go over there, you can just tell them your whole life story and they will not judge you. They will accept you as you are. You know, like... That should not be the exception. It should be the standard. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's keep going. Our Father in heaven. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's Philip, right, bro? Yeah, my brother Phil is in the house. Hallelujah. I met him at the joint prayer meeting and uh, he's got his whole family here with him. Praise the Lord. Levi here? Levi's here with you? Oh, Levi. All right. How you doing? How you doing, homie? All right. Hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed means greatly revered or honored. Hallowed be your name. Okay? It's not saying that God's name is hallow. You know, hallow be your name. Anyway, there's a Forrest Gump joke, joke that goes like that. Anyway, um, no. Hallowed means greatly revered. Although we are surrounded by movies and media that constantly take God's name in vain, we are not to fall into such idle talk, brothers and sisters. If you have a habit of using God's name to swear, Jesus Christ. Okay. Hallelujah. But when you hear it out on the, out on the street... A lot of times people are using that to swear, to curse. Or Christians think this is a little bit better or it's okay. They carelessly make exclamations using the, word of, using the name of God, saying, Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! You see that sale at JCPenney? Oh my God! Do you see his car? Okay. Okay, if this is you, okay, I encourage you to repent. You've got to change your ways. The Word of God says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. Be careful with that idle talk. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, My name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun, says the Lord Almighty. And my name is to be feared among the nations. Hallelujah. God wants us to use His name. Not for exclamation, but for exaltation. Hallelujah. We need to reserve His name and set it apart as holy. Hallelujah. What Jesus is teaching us here is also that when he says, Hallowed be your name, it's like Psalm 29, verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. When you take time to ascribe glory to God's name, this is essentially, it's an act of praise. Hallelujah. 
And the Bible says, God inhabits our praises. Amen? When we send the praises up, He sends His presence down. Amen? That's good. And these praises can be in the form of spoken words, a song, a dance, or just a shout. Hallelujah. But when we come to the Lord in prayer, we got to come to the Lord with praises. If you look in the book of Revelation, one thing that you notice is praise and worship are the primary activities of heaven. The angels of God are not sitting around in heaven playing poker all day. The image and vision we get is that they are praising God. They're praising God in songs. And this is why angels show up when we worship the Lord together in spirit and in truth. And angels are simply ministering spirits. They help to do God's will on the earth. And angels, they're most comfortable in the presence of worship because that's the atmosphere of heaven. Hallelujah. Our previous lead pastor, his name is Pastor Sam Epen. He is an Indian guy. And we miss you, Pastor Sam. And Pastor Sam took us to India once. And while we were preparing to go to India, he told us a testimony. Because we were learning this Indian song. I'm butchering it right now. But uh, it was something. Shri Um and we're learning the song, and then, you know, people were like, man, I don't want to learn this Indian song, man. Just sing in English, you know. And Pastor Sam encouraged us. He said, oh, no, 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 don't do that. You got to learn this song. He said, one time, when he and his family, they were leading a revival service, his brother went up on stage with a guitar and just started to sing this song and invited everybody to sing praises. And while his brother was singing praises, a random girl ran up to the stage, took the mic, and she started jumping up and down all excited. And everyone's like, what's wrong with you, girl? Can't you see we're singing? And she came up because during that song, just as people were singing like this, they're just saying, shout they're just singing. She got healed. The miracle just broke out. And she, it was, I guess it was a dramatic healing because she was really excited. She could not wait till the song was over. Now, Hallelujah. We haven't had a clear testimony of somebody getting healed during our praise time. If it, if it did happen, man, y'all owe me. You need to tell me. <laughs> Keeping that to yourself. Now, uh, but if we, we don't, you know, we don't want to have a real clear testimony of someone getting healed during our praise time. But we have seen people cry, shake, just start getting touched. No one preaches to them. No one prays for them. They just get touched by the Lord during the praise time. And I know personally that's happened to me many, many times. I'll go into a worship service when, when their anointing is flowing. Like Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. Or here at New Philly, I'll come in. And my, my mood could be compl- something completely different. And I'll come in. And I'll, as I'm just singing, man, God's presence just comes and He just touches me. And He starts to comfort me. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, actually every few months here at New Philly, we see visitors. During our praise time, they start to manifest. I don't want to scare you, but this is just the kingdom of God. They start manifesting demonically. Right? Ain't nobody do anything to them. Nobody said anything to them. We're just praising, worshiping. All right, and as as the service is ending, we look out, and there's this person, poor person, sh- like shaking and doesn't know what's going on with them. And we see this like it's been like pretty regular. We see it like every few months. And I believe what happens is, as we are praising, God's spirit just comes into this place, in the atmosphere of praise, and He begins to expose hidden demonic activity in order to heal all those who are oppressed of the devil. A lot of times you don't get healed because you don't know you have a problem. You think you're just weird. (laughs) But hallelujah, God can deliver you from that weirdness. (laughs) My point is just praise is 
powerful. And it is only fitting that when we begin our prayer times, whether it's private or corporate, we always begin by hallowing His holy name. Hallelujah. Let's keep going. Verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Now I have a confession to make. I have spent my entire life looking at this section of the Lord's Prayer. And I thought that it meant, Lord, may your kingdom come. May you return soon so that we can go to heaven. May your will be done. Lord, whatever you planned and decreed, may your sovereign will be done. On earth, uh, may your will be done on earth. May your will be done in heaven. Whatever you sovereignly decreed, whatever that is. Just do it. Okay. And it's, it's, it's like saying, Lord, uh, may you do what you're just going to do. Lord, may you do what you're going to do. Okay. It doesn't take much faith to pray like that, does it? And if you read the ESV and the NASB, they place a comma after the phrase, your will be done, comma. Everybody observe that? Now the placement of this comma almost forces the reader to conclude on a particular interpretation, namely the one I just presented. But I do not think that this particular interpretation is what Jesus meant. I don't think that that's what he's teaching here. You see, Jesus always points us to faith. And I don't think that he will waste a good portion of the Lord's prayer to teach us something that doesn't require any faith. To teach us to pray without any faith. I don't think that's what he's getting at here. When it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is not teaching us to pray simply for his second coming and pray for God's sovereign will to be done. Come on, evangelicals here, come on. We all grew up Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist. Some brothers and sisters here grew up in Catholic church. Right? You guys relate to the interpretation I gave first. Okay. I'm trying to shatter that right now. I'm trying to shatter that. It's not that I'm the only one that discovered this. Wow, Pastor Christian, you should get a reward or a prize or something. You discover something incredible. No, it's just that sometimes the truths of God get hidden. They get... Satan works hard to hide those truths. And then there comes a time God just restores it at a certain hour to empower his people. Think about the Reformation. It's the same thing. It wasn't that all the gospel was lost. It was just hidden, hidden. And then through this German dude, boom, God just restored it. And you know what? There's a lot more other things God's restoring at this hour. And so let me tell you what I think it is. Or I didn't, this is not... I learned this from other apostolic leaders. Um, I believe that Jesus is not teaching us to pray simply for a second coming and for just a sovereign will to be done. I believe that he is teaching us to pray that heaven will invade earth. Okay, you may not understand what I mean by that. Let me explain. He's teaching us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Is somebody with me here? And so if you look at the King James and the NIV, I believe they got it right because they don't place the comma there. I believe they got it right. Jesus, think about it, in heaven, Jesus has complete rule and reign. Hallelujah. There's not a corner of heaven that's, that's in rebellion against God. He has complete rule and reign and it is people are willingly submitted to Jesus' dominion because they know that Jesus is Lord. They know that Jesus is good. That's in heaven. But that's not true of earth. I'm not saying that Jesus ain't in control here. I'm just saying, look, look at the earth. Okay. What goes on in heaven is not what goes on on earth, is it? It's because Jesus' rule and reign is not told in, in the totality that it is in heaven. This is why Earth, Earth's history has been filled with 
so much violence, hate, murder, disease, and war. On earth, Satan systematically and strategically he establishes his rule. And he rules a good portion of it. And in some nations, Satan has more control than in others. Now the good news is, Jesus came so that this will change. Hallelujah. He came so that this would change. He came to establish and expand his dominion, his kingdom, his will. He came to expand it onto the earth. Hallelujah. So what Jesus is teaching us here, He's teaching us that if something exists in heaven, pray that it will be loosed on earth. If something exists in heaven, pray that it be loosed on earth. You see, this prayer requires faith because in order to pray this way, we got to grab hold of heaven. That's not easy to do. Why? Because heaven... It's not something that we can touch with our natural senses. It requires faith. Only faith can take hold of heaven. But we must, by faith, grab hold of heaven and pray that God's perfect will in heaven be loosed onto the earth. And with, when such faith, when such faith, when people pray that way and that faith reaches heaven, the Conditions and circumstances on earth begin to line up to heaven. Places where the rule and reign of Christ was, you couldn't, you couldn't even tell. He starts to line it up with heaven. And he begins to invade and bring his dominion there. Hallelujah. Now how much of heaven is supposed to invade earth? How much of it is supposed to manifest here on earth? Okay, well, I, I, theologically, I don't know that that's true because we know through prophecy that we, we know that it's not going to be all of it. So the question is, how much? Well, look, nobody has an answer for that. If you come up with a great number, give it to me. But I, you know, I'm going to ignore it because no one really knows. Okay, no one really knows how much of heaven is supposed to manifest on earth. But I don't think it's wrong to assume that it's got to be more than we got right now. Amen. I mean, it's got to be more than what we've got right now. Amen? Amen? You go to the Philippines. You go to Thailand. You go to Pattaya. You go to Cambodia. And you see children being trafficked into the child prostitution rings. Into human, human, human sex slave trade. And as the tra- sex slave trade today, the, the human trafficking today, is exponentially bigger than anything America had back in the colonial period. It is just enormous. But guess what? Our God is enormous. He's bigger. He's stronger. And we look at this stuff and we, and we got to say, man, Jesus has got to go there. His dominion's got to break that. We got to start praying and thinking this way, brothers and sisters. Heaven should be our standard. And when we pray for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth, heaven needs to be our standard. And what is heaven like? I can tell you right now, in heaven, there is a lot of joy. People laugh out loud in heaven. There's freedom. There's peace. There's lots of love. Lots of, lots of hugs in heaven. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Look, when we look at the nation of North Korea living under intense oppression, we don't have to ask, how should we pray for North Korea? We don't have to ask, what is God's will for North Korea? If you are asking that, you are asking the wrong question. We ought to simply pray as Jesus taught us. Lord, we know that oppression and intimidation is not allowed to exist in heaven. 
And thus we pray that it will no longer be allowed in North Korea. May your will be done in North Korea as it is in heaven. May the North Korean people breathe your freedom and sing of your deliverance. Hallelujah. That's the type of prayer Jesus is modeling for us right here. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm changing the grid of your thinking right now. And it, 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 you, may, you may need some time to, to kind of renew your mind to this. Even when we go out and we trust God on the missions field for healings and signs and miracles. A lot of us have been praying from the old grid. Okay. Right now, we bring it in, this grid, and we're just going to go for it. We're just going to go for it. Actually, this is, this is the grid that, uh, you know, like a lot of the churches that are seeing healings and miracles, they've adopted quite a while back. This is the way they think. This is the way they pray. This is the way Heidi Baker prays. It's the way Bill Johnson teaches the Bethel Church to pray. And hallelujah. What I see going on there, I see the Spirit of the Lord moving. I see the anointing of the Spirit moving, flowing, healing, miracles taking place. Hallelujah. Whatever reigns in heaven, we should pray that it be loosed on earth. This is why in Isaiah 61, when the anointing comes upon a person, we are called to bestow upon people the oil of gladness wherever there is sadness, a garment of praise wherever there is a spirit of despair. Why? Because there is no sadness and despair in heaven. So why should it continue on earth? So you, you might pray for a friend like this. Lord, I pray for Justin. He's been struggling with depression for five years. We know depression does not exist in heaven. And we refuse to let it continue here. I pray that all the roots of this depression be removed and his heart be made healed and whole in Jesus' name. Don't go up to Justin and say, Justin, how long you been struggling with this? Five years. All right, I'm going to pray for you right now. Close your eyes. Lord, I pray for Justin. If it be your will, please heal him from this depression. Lord, may your kingdom come. Lord, we know you're going to return soon. And you are our hope. And we wait for that day. And, but we just hope and we pray that Justin will get healed now. So his, his life is not living torture until you come back. But Lord, only if it's your will. Because your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Justin, are you encouraged? <laughs> no. What kind of prayer is that? Okay. Justin doesn't say that. But Justin is thinking that. <laughs> if I was Justin, I would think that. Well, what? That doesn't help me at all. <laughs> well, you need great faith to trust in the sovereign, mysterious will of God. Well, what about the revealed will of God? You want to know about the revealed will of God? Look at Jesus Christ. He is the Word made flesh. You look at what Jesus did on earth and you will understand the revealed will of God for earth. Praise the Lord. If something is not free to exist in heaven, we should also bind it on earth. You know, in heaven there's no fear. There is no cancer, disease, mental illness, poverty, human trafficking. None of that exists in heaven. And when we pray for someone who has a disease, we should pray with this type of perspective and faith. To say, fibromyalgia does not exist in heaven. Therefore, I bind it from continuing to torment my friend. The word of God says Jesus took up our infirmities and by his stripes we are healed. I bind you fibromyalgia to the word of God and I command you to be loosed off of David's body. Amen. Amen. It's the way we got to pray. If you want to see heaven invade earth, that's the way you got to pray. You know, 
The salvation of our God is for the whole man. And this is where I believe Pentecostals, they got it right. Salvation, is, you know, it's not like God's like, oh, you called on my son Jesus. All right, here, let me save you. Yeah, I'm going to save your spirit and your soul. Uh, I can't do nothing for your body. Well, actually, sometimes. I do sometimes do stuff for people's body. But not, you know, yeah. It's just sometimes. And it's a mystery when those sometimes are. And uh, here, I just say, is you're guaranteed your salvation for your spirit. And so you get to go to heaven. Lord, what about this cancer? Uh, well, come on, man. You get to go to heaven. Isn't that enough? All right, and the gospel we preach is this gospel that we just get saved. And we got to go to heaven. And so people who have horrible lives on earth, man, they are really looking forward to heaven. But they don't experience the kingdom of God. They, they just wait for it until it arrives when Jesus returns. I don't know. I don't think that's the gospel. I believe the gospel is salvation for the whole man. His spirit, soul, and body. Hallelujah. And if you've experienced it for your spirit, you will experience it for your soul. And if you've experienced it for your soul, you will also experience it for your body. But you believe in the full gospel. The whole gospel. When we see human trafficking in a nation, we should bind it. And pray that God's will be done in that nation. So that vulnerable people are no longer exploited. Don't look at human trafficking and say, Oh, well, well, maybe this is just the way it's supposed to be. Maybe it's just God's will. No, brothers and sisters. We got to contend for the kingdom. I'll tell you right now. If Jesus is the revelation of the perfect will of God. If he is the word made flesh. And Jesus walked on this earth. And we saw what Jesus did on the earth. I can tell you a, a good idea. I can give you a good idea. What Jesus would do if he saw human trafficking. He wouldn't look up and say. Alright Lord I pray you remove it. Lord get it out of here. Lord. How come you're not coming? Lord where are you? Oh, I guess it's just the way it is. I'm Jesus. I guess this is God's will. It's not going away. So uh. You know, we can pray occasionally, but, you know, I don't, I don't really think we should make a big deal of it. Yeah, I don't think Jesus would pray that way. If Jesus saw human trafficking, he would look at it and he'll say, human trafficking does not exist in heaven. And I'm here to bring heaven. I'm here to manifest the kingdom, the rule and reign of God onto the earth. This is not the rule and reign of God. This is to be rejected. And God will bring freedom for these people, healing for these people, education for these people, jobs for these people, hope for these people. If Jesus was on earth, how would he respond to our broken world? That's the question. And I really do believe that what he's teaching us in the Lord's Prayer is the, exactly the way he would respond. If you look at Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's good. I'll give you keys. What are keys for? You're supposed to open up something. He said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That means you get keys to open up the kingdom of heaven onto the earth. Is somebody with me here? I will give you the keys. And then he said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed on, in, in, in heaven. If you look at your footnote, if you're in the ESV, you will see in the footnote, it actually says, an alternative translation is, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. I believe that translation gives us a better idea of the revelational truth of what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying is, heaven is the standard. Whatever shall have been loosed and bound in heaven is that which we ought to loose and bind on earth. Heaven is our standard. Whatever you bind on earth shall be that which is bound in heaven. 
And whatever you loose on earth shall be, shall have been, shall be that which is loose in heaven. That's the keys. He's giving you keys. He's saying, come on, take them. Take them and turn them. Take them, put them in and turn them. Sorry, there's no remote key key entry system here. You got to go. Go, put the key in, turn it. Bring heaven to invade earth. Bring the kingdom of God, hallelujah, onto the earth. Let's keep moving. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. This speaks of heaven's standard for our material needs. You see, in heaven, there's nobody begging for bread. You think about that? Unless you really, really mess up in heaven. No, I'm playing, I'm playing. No, there's nobody begging for bread in heaven. In heaven, there is more than enough. And this prayer is a practical petition for the abundant supply of heaven to be seen here on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. And since there is complete and perfect provision in heaven, we ought to pray that it be the same here. Philippians 4.19, my God will meet, supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Check this out. When Jesus fed the 5,000, the Bible says that before he distributed the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven. Interesting. What, did Jesus see like some bird flying by? Let me give these out. Oh, oh, snap. <laughs> no, he, he looked up to heaven. Jesus probably looking at the abundant provisions of heaven and he pray that God's will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. And guess what? It happened exactly that way. The five loaves and two fish did not run out. In fact, what happened when they were done eating? Everybody's like, oh man, I can't eat no more. Well, get, the, get, the, get the loaves and fish away from me. And the disciples brought back there was more than enough. There was leftovers. If you lose your job, or if the economy is in recession, there is no need to worry. Amen? You got to resist your temptation to take matters into your own hands when things seem out of control. In fact, you may make matters worse or trap yourself into an unfavorable position if you try to take things into your own hands. Don't do that. Just be calm. Make decisions of faith led by the Spirit. Because check it out. In heaven, heaven has never had a recession. Amen? Amen. There is abundant supply there. There is more than enough always in heaven. What we got to pray is we got to pray that God will meet your needs according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Those riches in glory. Those riches in heaven. That all your material needs get met. You just got to pray that way. And if you pray that God will bless you and provide for you, He'll do it. In fact, if your faith takes you further and you say, God... I want you not only to provide for me, but I want you to bless me so that I can be a blessing to others. Guess what? God will do that too. God's like, you greedy little boy. Why are you asking for so much? No, God doesn't do that. You want to be a blessing? You want to live a life of a giver? Here it is. Here it is. Hallelujah. If you think that praying for heaven's resources is selfish and unbiblical, and full of materialism and the gospel, prosperity gospel. Okay. If you think that's unbiblical, just look at the Bible. Malachi 3.10. God himself says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Hallelujah. What just happened? 
God promised that if we trust Him for our material needs, with finances, guess what? He is going to deliver. In fact, in accordance to your faith, it will be given to you. You got lots of faith, He will deliver. He will give you more than He will give you more than you can handle. Not, actually, not more than you can handle. Hallelujah. That's actually my next point. He'll give more than enough. Hallelujah. He'll make you a blessing to be a blessing to others. Praise the Lord. And where does the, this Malachi 3.10, where does it say this blessing is going to be poured out of? Where is it going to be poured out of? Heaven, right? Somebody say heaven. heaven. I'm going to throw open the floodgates of heaven. Well, do it, Lord. Yeah, Hallelujah. If you have the character and the faith to live a life of a giver, a cheerful giver, don't make apologies. If God prospers you. Do you know what I'm saying? Don't let religious people say, what is all this money about? You're getting materialism in, into your system. Okay, no. If, if it's between you and God, you know. You got a clear conscience. You know you live in that life of a cheerful giver. Don't even explain yourself. You don't even need to waste your breath like that. You know what I'm saying? Don't make apologies for God's provision and his prosperity. Guess what? For us to advance the kingdom of God, we're going to need a lot of money. The wealth of the wicked is being stored up for the righteous, That's by the way. Right. You know, you hear t- testimonies, man. Drug dealers, man, they make all this money. They get all this money. And then they get arrested. And then it goes to the church somehow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I heard testimonies like that. I can't, I, I, I'm getting the details wrong, but something like that, man. Stuff like that may be happening, man. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's keep going. Verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This speaks of heaven's standard for relationships. Think about it. Is there any unforgiveness in heaven? The, the answer is no, of course not. So Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. Word of God says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. The way that God relates to you, imitate that. When you relate to your friend, when you relate to your mama, when you relate to your wife, be imitators of God. Because heaven is to be our standard for relationships. You know, in heaven, there ain't all this gossiping going on. Probably because they also have like, probably like supernatural powers to find out what you're all saying. Anyway, I don't, I don't know how it works. <laughs> I don't know how to, if there's even, perfect, I don't think there are perfect gifts in heaven, so I don't know what, what happens. Anyway, ain't no gossip, backstabbing, betrayal going on in heaven. Look, you might have gotten so used to it here on earth. Broken relationships, betrayal. You, you might just be like, man, you, you forget that, that heaven's not going to be like that. But check this out. You don't got to wait till you get to heaven to enjoy these kinds of relationships. It's for the here and now. Amen. Jesus said the kingdom of God is near. Hallelujah. It's near to you. It's yours. Take it. This is the way, the standard in which we ought to relate to each other. We're going to keep going. Verse 13. I mean, verse 13, yeah. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In heaven, there is no temptation or sin. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, this does not imply that God wants to tempt us. It's not like saying, Lord, I know you like tempting me now and then, but please don't do that. Okay, that's not the prayer here. Lead us not into temptation. Okay, but this is the way we go into autopilot. This is the way we interpret it. James 1.13 says that God does not tempt anyone. Yo, man, the other day, man, I'm trying to fast meat, right? And then there was this big old steak. Like my friend ordered a big old steak. God was trying to tempt me, man. 
But I said no. Okay, no. God doesn't tempt you. Okay, God does not do that. James 1.13 says that. Instead, this prayer is a prayer acknowledging our weakness and expressing our utter dependency on His grace. I thought Bill Johnson offered some fresh insight into this. He said, this prayer, lead us not into temptation, this prayer is actually a request for God not to promote us beyond what our character can handle. Sometimes our anointing and gift are ready for increase, but our character isn't. Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready for promotion. I'm ready for increase. I'm ready for leadership. I'm ready. I got the skills. I got the anointing. Man, be flowing. I go on the mission trips to be flowing. You saw me, Lord. I'm ready. Come on. Give it to me. Give me the increase. No limits. No boundaries. I see increase. Come on. Give me the increase, Lord. Give me that promotion. And God say, uh-uh, I don't think so. Your character. Need some more time with that. You get there. But look, if I give you the assignment right now, you will be compromised just six months from now. And you will lose your whole family and ministry. Lead us not into temptation then, Lord. Lord, I need your grace so that I can grow in the character and the fruit of the Spirit that can take the pressure of the bigger assignments that you have for me. So God, I'm dependent on your grace. Lord, I need your Spirit to continue to touch and change and refine me. When we move up in proportion to our character, certain situations will not be a temptation for us. But when we move up too fast, the smallest vices of money, lust, and power can tempt us into sin. And when we pray, lead us not into temptation, it's like saying, Lord, I humble myself, I ask for your grace, I desire to be used greatly by you, but I also know I am not immune to temptation. So build up my character so that I can handle the bigger assignments without, while remaining faithful to you. Lead us not to temptation. Now, that really blessed me, man. That's a powerful truth right there. I, I always just thought that God, God, you know, just on a bad day, He would want to tempt me. <laughs> I was always asking God, please don't. <laughs> I believe there's a precept underneath what this prayer is modeling for us. And it says, uh, goes on to say, deliver us from evil. And this phrase actually means deliver us from the evil one. You know, when our eyes are fixed on heaven, we will have great success in spiritual warfare. (laughs) When we look on earth as the standard for spiritual warfare, you will be filled with despair and futility. But if you look up to heaven as your standard, you'll be victorious. In heaven, people are not under bondage or control of demonic forces. Did somebody say amen? That doesn't exist in heaven. The follower of Christ ought to be also completely set free from all demonic strongholds and attachments while we live on earth. If you are being harassed by evil spirits, you're living in bondage to secret sin, you're living under a curse, or you're being harassed by evil spirits, even right now, you're being harassed right now. You can't focus. Or there are strange manifestations, unexplainable symptoms. Let me be the first one to tell you that is not the way you are supposed to live. Jesus will set you free. Not when you get to heaven, right now. While you live on earth. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That life under bondage, you need to reject that. You need, to eye your, you need to put your eye on a life of full freedom. Victory. No matter what Satan's told you, the standard of heaven is for you. 
you are to live free and victorious. And if you look on the uh, footnote, in the ESV, there's a footnote. It takes us to what we're all familiar with. Your kingdom, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord's Prayer begins with praise and it ends with praise. We crown Jesus Lord of all, King of kings, mighty God, wonderful counselor, beautiful Savior. We begin prayer with praise and we end it with praise. You know, the late Derek Prince, author and teacher, he used to teach that if we only have 10 minutes to pray, we should spend eight praising God. And I'd be like, if you're a choleric, you'd be like, no, I don't want to do that. I got to get through my intercession list. And I only have 10 minutes. I got to maximize that. I will spend nine minutes and 50 seconds on interceding, checking off all the prayer items, and I'll do about 10 seconds praising God. He knows he's great anyway. That'd be, that'd be great, but, you know, it's not what Jesus modeled for us. He's telling us, you begin with praise, you end with praise, you do lots of praise. You can never get too much praise. Hallelujah. So, brothers and sisters, may the Lord's Prayer bring fresh life into your private prayer lives. Into the corporate prayer life of the church as well. The insights that were preached today, apply it. Shift your thinking Change your grid of understanding how we ought to pray. Because the model that Jesus gave us in the Lord's Prayer is a powerful model. And if we will learn to tap into heaven's resources, we will see indeed the kingdom of God come and His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray, brothers and sisters. Lord, Father God, our Father, our precious, loving, kind Father, God, you are our Father, and we praise you for your worth. We praise you, God, for who you are. Oh, we just worship, adore, and honor you in this place, God. Hallowed be your name. May your name be feared among the nations. May your name be exalted in the hearts of your people. May your name be praised, May the praises of God be continually upon my lips. Oh, our Father, we adore you. And God, I pray that this message, this message will sink deep into, be deposited deep into the spirit of each person listening. For people that are walking righteous before you, people that are kind of backslidden and trying to come back to you, people that are kind of exploring Christianity, wherever they are, wherever they're at, God, I pray you deposit this seed into their hearts, God. So as they grow and as they come into places of influence, as they come into their assignments, Lord, that their thinking and perspective will be that which looks up to heaven for standard. That prays heaven down to earth that prays with incredible faith not because we just have incredible faith and we have lots of knowledge of your word but because we are pulling the resources of heaven and praying them down onto the earth may your people be here a people that learn how to knock on the doors of heaven may there be thunderous knockings Upon the doors of heaven. So that through our prayers. You will release those 
doors and open up the heavens and give us open heavens so that, God, we will see your provisions for material needs. We will see relationships, oh, God, Lord, being healed and made whole and full of love and forgiveness. We will see, oh, God, Lord, healings and miracles. And we will see people not living in bondage and constantly going from temptation and failure to failure, but people who are going from glory to glory, a people that are going, oh God, from freedom to freedom, a people, oh God, that go from strength to strength, a people, oh God, that would indeed live as a people determined to bring heaven down to earth. God, we know that it's not going to be the whole earth But Lord God, we pray. We just pray that it'll be a lot more than what we see right now. For no eye has seen, no ear has heard. Wonderful things God's prepared for those who love Him. Lord God, we want to fully engage and experience all the amazing things that you have for us in this last hour. Do it in our day and use it. Use us in our lives for your glory, God. In Jesus' name, amen.